Would you take your scriptures this morning and turn with me to Zephaniah chapter 2. The book of Zephaniah is one of the minor prophets, by fourth book from the end of the Old Testament. Zephaniah 2, we'll be reading the entire chapter. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together, O undesirable nation. Before the desire is issued or the day passes like chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you, seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. For Gaza shall be forsaken and Ashkelon desolate. They shall drive out Ashdod at noonday and Ekron shall be uprooted. Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nation of the Cherethites. The word of the Lord is against you. O Canaan, land of the Philistines, I will destroy you so there will be no inhabitant. The seacoast shall be pastures with shelters for shepherds and folds for flocks. The coast shall be for the remnant of the house of Judah. They shall feed their flocks there in the houses of Ashkelon. They shall lie down at evening. For the Lord their God will intervene for them and return their captives. I have heard the reproach of Moab and the insults of the people of Ammon, which, with which they have reproached my people and made arrogant threats against their borders. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord of the hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab shall be like Sodom and the people of Ammon like Gomorrah, overrun with weeds and salt pits and a perpetual desolation. The residue of my people shall plunder them and the remnant of my people shall possess them. This they have, shall have for their pride because they have reproached and made arrogant threats against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be awesome to them, for he will reduce to nothing all the gods of the earth. People will worship him, each one from his place, indeed all the shores of the nations. You Ethiopians also, you shall be slain by my sword, and he will stretch out his hand against the north, destroy Assyria and make Nineveh a desolation as dry as the wilderness. The herds shall lie down in their midst. Every beast of the nation, both the pelican and the bittern, shall lodge on the capitals of her pillows. Their voice shall sing in the windows. Desolation shall be at the threshold, for he will lay bare the cedar works. This is the rejoicing city that dwelt securely, that said in her heart, I am it, and there is none beside me. How has she become a desolation, a place for beasts to lie down? Everyone who passes by her shall hiss and shake his fist. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. We come to praise you this morning, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You have told us that you have hidden your truth from the wicked of this world, from those who think they are wise and learned while you reveal them to the little children, to those who love you. You did this for your own good pleasure. You did this so your people would know your truth. We come this morning 
to hear your word, to learn about your son, the one you sent to make us alive. Open our hearts and guide our study that we can, as your little children, learn of you and your gospel that saves the souls of your people. Amen. As we come to chapter 2, we come to a final call to repentance for those in Judah and Jerusalem. Zephaniah gives this call following his announcement that the day of the Lord is at hand. You must view this call very, very carefully. He doesn't mean to say the judgment will be turned back or stopped by their repentance. The time of the day is already set and it will not be altered. What he shows is there is a possibility of protection available through repentance. There's a second reason for this call. It is a far more serious reason. As the people of Jerusalem consider what is coming against those nations around them, they may well consider the judgment against themselves. But they can see that only as they come to repentance. Next week, we will consider the judgments of these other nations. Zephaniah does not mention past judgments against anyone. Instead, he only looks forward to what is coming. These are all things everyone in Judah would know as true. They would know this because all this happened in their lifetime. This shows them clearly that the God of all earth is doing what is right among other nations as well as in Judah. The hope of Zephaniah is that they will see these things and it will lead them to understand their own condemnation and thus cause them to repent. Yet it is true their repentance will come without any expectation of escape from God's wrath. Their repentance offers them only a protection from eternal judgment and not escape from the process already begun. I find it unbelievable that the people of our day who have so much knowledge of the world, can't read history and learn about what evil brings to a nation. God has given us example after example of his judgment falling on nations that have turned away from him and sought to go their own way. Man seems to have an unprecedented knack of believing it can't happen to him or that his generation is above the mark of the evil required to generate such judgment. I think one of the most shocking examples of this blindness is found in the hearts of religious people, especially those who claim to be Christian. They read the Bible and then come up with all kinds of fictitious additions to God's word to blunt the force of God's call to repentance. We must be careful not to allow some fairy tale to give a false sense of hope. Any such attempt to give hope to those who don't believe in Jesus Christ and the judgment that will come to them for their unbelief must be met with the clear truth of God's word. Zephaniah has made the point that any kind of syncretistic religion must be dealt with in a very quick and forceful manner. The only way to do that is to take your stand on the infallible and inerrant word of God and don't allow yourself to be moved. Let's turn to chapter 2 of Zephaniah and learn about this call to repentance. Our text will be verses 1 through 3. First, we will hear his admonition to repent. Second, we shall discover the urgency behind this call. 
Third, we will learn of the refuge, the refuge heeding this call to repentance can bring. It brings it even with the pronouncement of judgment already on them. Zephaniah brings an admonition to these people. He calls them to seek repentance today so that you may find relief against the terror of God's wrath in this repentance. This section of chapter 2 is written in a different style to the first chapter. In chapter 1, he was very declarative in his language. He didn't beat around the bush about what was coming. But here, here in chapter 2, he begins with this admonition to repent. In the end, he brings it to the point. He tells them, if they listen and repent, there is hope. They will be delivered from the horror of this coming day of the Lord. He calls them to come in verse 1. Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together, O undesirable nation. The word in the Hebrew for gather together could literally be translated gathering stubble. O Palmer Robinson offers a translation that says, Gather yourselves together like stubble. Yes, gather together like stubble, O nation that has no shame. Thus, you have a double admonition that follows the description in the first chapter of an inevitable judgment. This lays down a very faint hope of protection during this coming day of the Lord. All they need do is open their ears and hear. This comes across as a somewhat derogatory word to the people of Judah who deserve nothing from God. He is saying Judah is as worthless as the stubble of the field. The implication is they need to gather together in heaps of worthlessness. They must come and stand in the judgment as the unworthy sinners they are. Why would this prophet be so hard on those he knew were about to suffer such horror? He wants them to come to the recognition of their need for total self-abasement. They they had become a nation so full of themselves, so confident in their own abilities. In Malachi 4.1, it is said of this coming day of judgment, For behold, the day is coming, burn like an oxen, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. It should not be hard to recognize that pride and arrogance bring one to a fall. Proverbs 16 to 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Judah saw the weakening of the great Assyrian enemy that had caused them so much trouble over the last several centuries. Because of this weakness, Judah developed a new sense of confidence that, 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 that about their future. They have allowed pride to bring them to the precipice of destruction. They face, come face to face with the need to humble themselves. God had sent prophet after prophet. He sent them to call this group of people into this humble stance before him, but they refused to listen. The truth stands out in this example. They must humble themselves and acknowledge their own worthless this before God. If they didn't, 
They will be gathered together to stubble and burn. My friends, it would really be wise if the peoples of today would listen to these old prophets, for they have a message that is timeless. There is no doubt but that this message is one that grates at the heart of a person who loves himself and glories in his own self-esteem. Men on their own want to think they can accomplish everything by their own wits. This is the liberalism or progressive message of today. Men can do for themselves. They can solve all the problems of this world and make life here wonderful and fulfilling for everyone. They don't want to hear that they are dependent on anyone or anything, especially the God who created all things. But it is this message from the prophets that leaves open the idea of hope for those who will listen. Notice how he addresses this call, O undesirable nation. The call is to gather themselves together as worthless stubble. The problem is they are a proud nation that acknowledges no shame for their sinfulness. Mr. Robertson says, not even a blush rises on its cheek from an awareness of its guilt before God. Understand this. When a nation is so blinded to its own sin, it can feel no shame even in the midst of the very blood caused by its sin. It can come to the very edge of destruction in the fires of God's wrath. That nation can and then can then continue on its merry way into the calamity standing before it. This is why the prophet was sent. He came declaring this coming day of judgment. He also came to call these sinful people to repentance. Can the word of God at this point in their struggle make some of these people aware of their sin? It can, but only when accompanied by the grace of God. You cannot read this and study it without considering our own nation and where it stands before God. If ever a nation has fallen into self-adoration, it, it has to be America. The idea that we are wiser than the rest of the world, and for that matter wiser than any god anyone can conjure up, is clearly seen in our leaders. Proverbs 3, 7 tells you, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. To stand before God as though you have wisdom that can rival God's is pure foolishness. Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. The people of Judah had come to the same point, and it clearly has brought the wrath of God on them. They have turned to seeking false gods and following the ways of evil people, and we in America are doing the same thing. It is imperative that we open our ears and listen to God's word. It is very necessary that we open our hearts and examine our ways, lest we be caught by the horrible wrath of a holy God. Remember Hebrews 12:29 tells you, our God is a consuming fire. He will bring purity to this world by grace and mercy or by judgment. Zephaniah turns his attention to the urgency before his people. 
He was the one sent to give the last warning. In other prophets who came before him, the urgency was not seen in the same way it is here. The time between his warning and the actual judgment is now very, very narrow. These people are on the edge of this terrible cataclysmic event. The time for repentance has come down to only a few days. Verse 2. Before the desire is issued, or the day passes like chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you. The time of procrastination is over. It is clear in this that a sinner cannot wait to the day of judgment to repent. So many people believe they will hold out until they see the judgment begin and then at the last moment repent. It doesn't work that way. Repentance has to come between the declaration of judgment and the dawn of that day. Remember last week, we talked about the darkness that would come with the judgment that will will be a spiritual darkness, making the hearts of those who refuse to repent so dark they will never see that judgment coming. There is a time for men to hear and repent. God will not strive with men forever. When the judgment begins in earnest, all hope will be lost and the fate of those under condemnation sealed. If you try to wait to see if these words are true, you will fall into that blackness of heart and be lost forever. Zephaniah calls you to see this urgency. He uses the word before three times to bring this sense home. He declares, before the desire is issued, or the day passes like chaff. Here's the warning. This is really more than, than a mere warning. This is a decree by the sovereign Lord Almighty. Life is brief, especially the time for repentance. You must humble yourself before a holy God and confess your sins and ask his forgiveness. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This offer is not eternal. It has an expiration date. You are told in Psalm 39, 5, Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but vapor. He's here one moment and gone the next. If this is true of men in general, Think how much more the urgency is for those living under the declaration of a coming judgment. The horror of that day should cause your blood to run cold. It should draw you to your knees and drag the arrogance from your very heart. You ask, how can anyone stand so strong against such terror? You remember Pharaoh in Moses' day? God sent judgment against him in Egypt. It says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. The scripture also says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. God hardened his heart against the terror of the plagues. Pharaoh hardened his heart against the words of God. This proved to be a deadly combination. Don't let it be your failure. He adds to this his comment about chaff, or a day passes like chaff. Again, this puts on display the urgency of the need for repentance. It's not the day of judgment that will pass quickly. 
It is the time until that day comes. Chaff was the husk off the germ of the wheat. It was very light and had no value to the farmer, so he would pile it up and burn it. It was very light and the wind could stir it up easily. The days coming to judgment are like this chaff. There is no redeeming value in them and they will disappear quickly. He wants them to know how desperate their situation is and how urgently they need to repent. Why is this such an urgent message? Before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, here is the second before. There is hope before the fierce anger of the Lord comes. Its coming has been the message of the prophets for years. The time between the last warning and the day of judgment, when all will fall into this fierce anger of God, is but an instant. The time for, as Mr. Robertson says, dilly-dallying is over. It is now or never. Are you going to admit? Are you going to admit you can't save yourself? Or are you going to die and go to hell filled with your arrogance? Who knows how the wind will blow and when it will sweep away that last moment of hope? This brings us back to the idea this is a decree of God. The third before says, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you. Now, the first before shows the decree made. The second before shows the warning is coming. It's at hand. Once that day comes, the gate is closed and the sentence is sure. The third before shows the fulfillment of the decree. Matthew Henry says the opportunity will be lost and never retrieved. This is like a woman with child. When her due date comes, there's no going back. It will come. Judgment shall come to pass as the chaff blows without warning. Proverbs 27.1 explains, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Do you know and understand the full scope of, of what this day of the Lord will bring? Will it be the agonies of those who refuse to repent? They will be far worse than any you have ever imagined. It is imperative that you, that those who find themselves at odds with God and his message get themselves in line with his commands as quickly as they can before he cuts off repentance. A day in this is very dangerous and will be fatal. This coming day will bring birth to God's fury. That fury will overwhelm all who refuse to acknowledge him as the sovereign Lord Almighty. Throughout the Old Testament, his fury is referred to as a burning wrath. You cannot listen to this and not feel fear in your heart, especially as one who rejects God. What will happen to those who refuse God will be collected together as the stubble of the field. They will be consumed by the wrath of a holy God and will be licked up by the flames of his anger. In an instant, as a mother in labor feeling pain, they will feel his burning wrath. Only those who are properly prepared will find help on the day of judgment. Against the dark clouds of this coming judgment, we find some softer words that can bring encouragement. Verse 3. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. 
what we learn here is that the only protection from this coming judgment and terrible wrath of God is to be found in God's himself. The call is to seek God. This coming day of the Lord will be terrifying to all who face it, except to the one who places his hope and trust in God and God alone. Psalm 105.4 Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face evermore. This is the message of Zephaniah. Seek the Lord. Isaiah 55.6 Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Seeking is an absolute must for those who are facing judgment. This makes it very clear. There must be a bold and completely wholehearted pursuit of God. This cannot be some half-hearted appeasement to try and make yourself look good. This seeking has to be persistent. It means you come and continue to come, always acknowledging your helplessness. Jeremiah also shows this to those taken off into captivity. He tells them in Jeremiah 29, 13, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. The mercies of God will never fail. But you must also understand the requirements for seeking him must never change. What this shows is that the things of life are tied to the commitments of the heart. It is not about what all the works, not about all the works you do. When you wholeheartedly seek the Lord, so will follow good things in your life. But, but what happens in your life is directly connected to the commitments of your heart. In whom do you trust? If it is in self, then judgment is upon you. If it is in Christ Jesus, then judgment has passed over and you are hid in God. Who is it he calls to seek the Lord? All the meek of the earth. This warning of the coming judgment went out to all the people of Judah. The call made here is very, very specific. He calls those who are humble. He calls all in the land who are humble, those who know they are sinners in need of grace and recognize that grace comes only from God. These people see themselves as lowly. They are mild and gentle with others, yielding to others, not angry and resentful. They come in subjection and submission before their God, acknowledging their absolute need of him in their lives. Living in this humility, they are obedient to God's law. They observe his institutions, are conscious of their duties before him, and have committed themselves to bring glory and honor to his name through their lives. What does all of this produce? It builds up all who have upheld his justice. It produces a confidence in God as the source of your hope. You grow in the understanding of his favor and grace. It brings you to trust in him with everything in your life. You can hear this warning of coming judgment and stand fast in your confidence of deliverance because you stand fast on his word. This brings you to seek other things from God. What does Zephaniah say you must seek? Seek righteousness. What is this righteousness? 
it is right standing before God. Here ends where you turn to the promises of the word. The scripture tells you God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the greatest promise ever made. It is inclusive of the righteousness you must seek. Jesus Christ as the God-man did for you everything you could never do for yourself. The Apostle Paul tells you in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Here's where you see the Messiah hidden in Zephaniah. There's no righteousness for men apart from that which comes from Jesus Christ. You must walk away from the world. You must come to Jesus Christ. For he and he alone can give you this righteousness you're commanded to seek. Righteousness is not all you are to seek, but also humility. If you find the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you cannot avoid the need to seek humility. In Christ, you will recognize your own helpless estate and will know all glory and honor belong to him for your salvation. But listen to this promise concerning humility. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits earth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. You must seek this humility. So that you think about the nature of God and of his son. It is only then you can find a real and secure rest for your soul. It is only in seeing your absolute dependence on God and Jesus Christ that you can begin to understand the judgment that is coming. As well as the deliverance that has been prepared for those who stand fast in their faith. It is these people who understand and believe he will help. The last phrase of this verse can cause some confusion. He says, it may be that you will be hidden in the days of the Lord's anger. The NIV says, perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. What does he mean? Perhaps, maybe. Are you telling me? After doing all of the things called for here, there's still a chance I won't be saved from this judgment. In Jeremiah, you can read about his calling people to give themselves up to the Babylonians during the siege of Jerusalem. He told them all that would go out and surrender would be spared death. Those that did not surrender would die. Those who went out and surrendered are the ones God saved. The indication is because they repented. They didn't avoid the judgment but were hidden from his last terror of violent death. Zephaniah says they were sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. You are forgiven in Jesus Christ, but that does not guarantee you will be delivered from the consequences of your sins. If your nation comes under judgment, you will be spared, but spared from what? Martin Luther says the obvious meaning of this is that you are either in heaven or under heaven's protection as a believer in this world. Therefore, now is the time to seek the Lord while he may be found, so you can be hid with, with, 
when this great day of the Lord comes. This call for repentance is clear. It is the same today as it was in Zephaniah's day. Yes, we have a clearer picture of what it all entails than they did, but the exact, the idea is exactly the same. If you will turn and seek God, in our case, God is the God-man, Jesus Christ. If you will open your ears and listen in your heart and believe that he is the one sent from heaven to do for you those things you could never do for yourself. He lived the perfect life. He died the atoning death. He won the resurrection victory all on your behalf. You will be delivered in this time of judgment. Your assurance of this deliverance is far more fleshed out than what Zephaniah had. Jesus Christ came into this world to take upon himself your judgment. Once he lived out his perfect life, he went to the cross to pay the price your sins demanded. He gave his life on your behalf. He also defeated the terror of judgment and death through his resurrection. You are now hid in Jesus Christ, and judgment cannot swallow you up in its terror. The call of this message is to turn away from your sins and repent of them. Know that all men will be called to face the judgment of God, and it will be a terrifying moment. Next, hide yourself today. Hide yourself in Jesus Christ, for there is no other place secure. Let us pray. Father, you who are the creator of this world and the redeemer of souls, this morning we humbly come to your throne. We come because we know you're the one who sent Jesus Christ to us to save our souls and to give to us true life. You have told us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. You also made it clear to us that you and you alone are the one who works in us to will and act according to your good purpose. Help us, Father. Help us to stand fast in our faith and to serve you and our fellow men that we might be witnesses in this dark world. In Christ's name, amen.